0: Well, I had, a, I had another interesting conversation earlier in the week. I um, had an atheist in our community want to talk to me, and um, we've been building a friendship over the last few months, and I, I don't even know if I would call it a friendship yet, but a relationship, but he seemed very curious and wanted to talk, and so we met at Starbucks, and he invited a, a special services member from the, from the armed forces. He invited him to join, which I wasn't expecting, but I was happy to see him, and and these men began to bombard me with their questions about God. There weren't new questions. They're questions that I've answered I don't know how many times before, things that I've preached on here before. And, but I did notice something that every time I would try to answer, quote, a question, before I could even get a full sentence out, they would start saying, but this, but that, but this. And so finally I said to them, I said, guys, I'm happy to listen to you if you want to tell me all that you think, but if you really want me to tell you why I believe there's a God, then why I believe that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins, then how about letting me talk for just a minute? And of course, they both apologized, and we came up with a way that we could each one hold the floor and, and talk. It was amazing to me that when they listened, both of them said these words to me, I've never thought about it that way, or that thought has never crossed my mind. And I think, not picking on my two friends, but I think that's kind of what happens to a lot of us, is we do so much talking and we do so much thinking, we never really stop to listen, maybe to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us, and then all of a sudden, a new thought or a new perspective, a new way of looking at things crosses our mind. Historically the church has always looked at the opening scriptures in Mark. They've always looked at this passage during the Christmas season, but it's never really been it's never really been a text that I felt led to preach from until this year. And when I say I felt led to preach from, I mean it's just never really kind of gripped my heart and and Because there's so much, especially in Matthew, and there's so much in Luke, and there's so much in the prophets about prophesying about the birth of Jesus. There's the confession of the early church. But I've really kind of soaked in this first chapter of Mark and the opening verses of the second chapter of Mark, and just trying to go, what was it that brought so much comfort? Because in Matthew and in Luke, as we've already looked at in this series on Christmas Light, in Matthew and Luke... The earthly lineage of Jesus is really emphasized. It's important to the Jewish people to see that connection that Jesus was the Son of David. The Son of God, but the Son of David. And then there's this interesting, fast-paced, fast-moving, if you're from the military, you'll love the book of Mark. If you like a fast-paced Western novel or a fast-paced moving mystery novel, you'll love the book of Mark because it's just the way the story goes. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but before I buy a book or even before I go to a meeting with someone, Zach, if I was going to have lunch with you, I'd go back and I'd look at all the notes that I've made about Zach over the years because it reminds me of things. And if I was going to have dinner with Rachel and you, which when we get to one year, Rachel, you're supposed to cook for me after y'all been married one year, just, you know, just so you don't forget. You know, just so you don't forget, I'd look back over all of our notes of everything we talked about because I want to know who I'm talking to. I want to know who I'm taking the time to read their book or buy it. So I always look in the background, and these days, if they've, if they've got a Twitter account or if they've got a Facebook page, I want to go back and look at that. So I'm just thinking as I read the book of Mark, I go, wow, I remember something about Mark I need to share with the church. Now, it doesn't have a thing to do with the message, okay? But you need to know this. Because when you read this verse, you're gonna go, wow, that's the author of this? This is who the Holy Spirit used to write this book? And yeah, this is who the Holy Spirit used. So if the Holy Spirit used John Mark to write this book, I just want you to know God can use you as well. Somebody say amen right there. And you're going, well, I don't get it. Well, let's read the verse. One young man was following behind, clothed only in a long linen shirt. And when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. That's the author of this book. This is Mark. And he's with Jesus and the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane and when Jesus gets arrested Mark is frightened and he's scared he's got on just this this and and, and, and sure, really in the New Living Translation doesn't give you the whole idea of it it's it's more like a wrap it's more like a robe or a toga I guess it's a it's the word that's used here it's an expensive word it's it's the same thing that would be used for a grave shroud okay if that'll help you get a picture of it it's wrapped around him so evidently in a hurry he left home because he heard what was happening and he tears off to follow Jesus and the disciples and he, he heads, gets to the garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's watching what's going on. Now he's a friend of Peter, you need to know that, and some, some scholars and theologians believe he's the nephew of Peter. But he's a friend of Peter and, and there in the garden when the crowd see him, and you remember the Bible tells us and the disciples fled and they ran away. Well, John Mark takes off running, and they try to grab him. And friends, I don't know about you, that'd be my worst. I have had nightmares where I have showed up somewhere naked before, and maybe you've had those before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's an embarrassing thing, in your dream, and you wake up and go, it was just a dream. But for John Mark, this was no dream. This is who God is using. Now, like I said, it has nothing to do with the message. I just thought you needed to know that this morning. Okay? Now you know who wrote the book. Now you know who the Holy Spirit used. And if God can use Mark, God can use you. And by the way, if you've ever wondered why God can use me, and you go, I just don't get it. How can God use the pastor? Well, if God can use Mark, He can use me. We're in good company this morning, aren't we? So would you stand with me this morning? I want to read you two passages of Scripture here. Immediately, the gospel starts off like this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then say these two words with me. It began. Wow. And boy, when Jesus shows up, stuff happens. When Jesus shows up, it begins. But what I want you to see before we pray right here is that the gospel is the good news. This is good news. What the church has to share is good news. And last week we looked at why the gospel is good news. Because Jesus saves us from our sins. If you were here last week, if not, go online and listen to that message. This is why it's good news. But John also wants you to know, he's not emphasizing here the human lineage of Jesus. He wants you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Christ means. Jesus is the Messiah. Christ is not his middle name. Christ is not His last name. Christ is His title. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's come to save His people from their sins. I'm meeting with some people in a few weeks, and uh, as a part of a dialogue that they're not Christians, and we're gonna—I'm going to talk about why I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah and, and support that from Scripture. And I'm very honored, and I covet your prayers because I am going to be like a mule in the Kentucky Derby with some of the people that I get to talk to and share with them why Jesus is the Messiah. So I I really need your prayers for that. But Jesus came to save us from our sins, and that's what Christmas is all about. And friends, it begins. I ask you this morning, Lord, would you help me in the name of Jesus Christ to be able to share the gospel this morning, to, to preach the good news, and Lord, to show us how we can apply this story to our lives today. For it's in Christ's name I ask. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Well, the good news. Everybody likes good news. There's a little Trenton Trib paper. I don't know if you ever pick up a copy of it, and I uh, sat at a table the other day with the editor and the the owner of the Trenton Trib, and I thanked Kathy. I said, listen, I just want to say thank you for your paper. I said, I pick it up when, wherever I, I see it, I pick it up, and she won't know why I pick it up. And I said, I pick it up because you've always got some good news in there. It's kind of unlike the Free Press or the News or the New York Times or the Journal. I read those papers. The, the Free Press has got, I mean, the Trib has always got some interesting news and some good news and, and things of that nature. And, and they don't pretend to be a, a major paper like the Times or the Journal. And I would recommend it to you to pick up from time to time. But so often, people tend to think about the church And that the church doesn't have any good news. And sometimes that's the church's fault. Because when I read the Gospels, I don't really see Jesus bringing bad news to lost people in the world. He's bringing good news. He's telling them how they can experience love. He's telling them how they can experience freedom. He's telling them why they don't have to fear death. He's telling them how they can have deliverance. He's setting people free from evil forces that control their lives. I've told you before about when I had the opportunity to sit down with the press secretary for Shimon Perez when he was prime minister of Israel. And I had the opportunity to sit down and interview him. And he said, I understand why crowds follow Jesus. And he said, everywhere he went, he shared good news and he set people free. You see, the gospel is good news. And I think we need to keep our minds focused upon that from time to time because it's real easy for us As Christians, to become critical of the world, it's real easy for us to become harsh. Maybe it's real easy for us to begin what psychologists call, we begin to mirror the hostility and the vitriolic attitudes of, of the politicians, of the political parties, of the different aggrieved groups. We make ourselves no different than the rest of the world when we are angry at the world We make ourselves different when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us, and we love lost people, and we share the good news of Jesus with them. Now, John came, John the Baptist, and you all know who he is. You've got a little advantage over this this group of people that John Mark is writing to because you know Jesus is Messiah. You've read, and sometimes like me, used to when I would read my Bible I would read and I'd say why didn't they get it I I would ask my professors I would ask my pastors I'd say why didn't they get it there was even times when I was working for Dr. Addison I'd say I just don't understand why they didn't get it and one time Dr. Addison and I are on our way to Atlanta and he says well son we have the advantage of knowing who Jesus is, being taught about Jesus. We've been taught how all these signs and prophecies fit together and how impossible that would be if it wasn't for God. He said, but those people didn't have the information we have. and So I would submit to you that you and I have a greater responsibility. You and I will be held to a greater accountability about following Christ and obeying Christ. But let's look at this next passage. John the Baptist was arrested And after he was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news, and the time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Well, why does Mark position this the way he does? Well, well, first of all, you need to know who this preacher John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. And we have no indication, the Scripture gives us no indication, that John knew who Jesus was until the time that he was baptized. We have no indication of that in the Scripture. That's important to note. But then you have to ask yourself this. Why was it in a day without television, without radio, without the Internet, without Facebook, without Twitter, how did all of these crowds begin to show up? How did all these people begin to show up outside of town at the river where John the Baptist was preaching? I mean, here was a guy, the Bible tells us, he was dressed in camel's hair and he ate locust and wild honey. Think about that for just a moment. He didn't dress like the rest of the folks. He dressed in camel hair, which was a sign of repentance. And he ate locust and wild honey. I have no idea what that will do for your breath, but that was his diet. And, and, and he was there ministering to people up front and up close to them, ministering to them. And they flocked out to hear him. And I will submit to you something that I think is very important. They flocked out to hear Jesus because they understood, I mean, to hear John because they understood the symbolism of how he was dressed. If this morning I was to come in with a black wig on, a white suit with with sequins on it, and maybe a pillow under my shirt, how many of you think you know who I would be impressed with? Elvis Presley. If I was to come in this morning with a coonskin cap on my head, who do you think I'd be impersonating? Daniel Boone. Oh, David Crockett, I'm sorry. If I was to come in this morning with a big old stovepipe hat on and a beard, who would I be impersonating? No, not ZZ Top. I would be impersonating Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you see, if I was to come in like that, I, you would think boy, pastors impersonating somebody. But here, John came and all of these Jewish people who had been taught, this was Elisha. Elisha had been dressed in camel's hair. And Elisha in Second in, in Kings, one time some of King Ahaz's servants came upon a man and, and, uh, and, and, and Elijah asked, how is the king? And they said, he's sick. Go home and tell him he's going to die, he said. And and, and they, they went home and said, we don't know who this man was, but he said, you're going to die. He says, what did he look like? He said he had on camel's hair and he ate locust and wild honey. And the king goes, oh, it was Elijah. You see, symbolism is still very, very important to us. And this man... Something about him, God prepared and used him because he pointed out, listen, he pointed out to Israel their sins. And suddenly, it took away their hope from them. Because if God was going to judge them for their... And remember, he said he's getting ready to lay the axe at the root. And some people want to major on John the Baptist when John the Baptist was just a herald saying someone is going to come that's going to take care of the problem that you can't deal with and that's your sin. None of us can take our sin away. None of us can do enough to earn forgiveness. And so after John's wonderful ministry, Jesus begins coming and he says, the time has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I want to look at what Jesus said there. Number one, he says, repent of your sins. Repent. Repent means to turn around. Repent means to not just feel sorry. There are a lot of things that I feel sorry for. I, my wife makes a wonderful, wonderful German chocolate cake. She uses double frosting on it. And oh, if it's sweet, I like it, you know. And so on our family night, for dessert, I had a slice of German chocolate cake. After dinner, we sat down to watch a movie and I had another slice of German chocolate cake. Well, after the movie, when everybody went upstairs, I went into the kitchen because I had to take some medicine before I went to sleep and there it was going, love me tender, love me strong. I had another slice of German chocolate cake and the next day I felt so bad. I. Confess my sins. And I told Becky and Amy, I ate three slices of German chocolate cake. They got all over me. They chewed me out. I felt bad. But Friday night, when no one was home, I hadn't repented. I had another slice of German chocolate cake. Now, I paid for it yesterday. I exercised really hard, but here's what I'm trying to tell you repentance is not the same thing as feeling sorry repentance is saying I will no longer do that I will follow after you well now will all of us know our willpower is not strong enough we need the good news we need the presence of the life of Jesus Christ within us and in a wonderful little book it's not a very large book theologian Cornelius Planteca wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be it's just a brief book about sin this is a little long but would you just follow along with me as I read it They, speaking of the people of God, the Jewish people, they dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise and the wise humble, they they dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower and the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps, people would lie down in peace and work to fruitful effect, lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. And all humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, delight in God, and shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in streets, and from men on ships. What's he saying? This is what the world will be like when Jesus comes again and sin is once and for all dealt with and Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? (laughs) Hallelujah! This is what it will be. Secondly, he says, believe God's good news. Believe the good news. Uh, This word believe doesn't mean just agree with it. It means act upon it. Act upon what you believe This morning, I I pray that you believe and that you act upon this good news, one, that if there is sin in your life, if there's sin that you're you're covering, the Bible says that our sins hinder our prayers. The Bible says the sin hinders our relationships. I, I pray that if there's sin in our lives, we will repent of that and turn away from it. I have a dear friend, a dear friend that for years has been covering up sin in his life, And suddenly it's just come home and it's cost him dearly. I never knew, I never suspected. This morning before I came out here, I looked at a gift that's in my office that he gave me. A thoughtful gift that he gave me. And it's cost him everything. Friends, sin is nothing to monkey around with. When we believe upon the good news, we not only feel bad for our sins, but we trust what Christ did at Calvary to wash away our sins. And sin loses its power over us. We hate our sin. We hate what our sin stands for. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, we follow after Jesus. Jesus called out to them in Mark 1.17. Jesus called out to them and says, Come, follow Me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Say those two words with me, follow me. Follow me. Say it again. Follow me. When our children were little, I miss those days. When our children were little. Back in the days when we would go to the mall, or when we would go to Disney World, or when we were on trips, and we'd take them to, you know, in missions trips with us, and I took them into some very dangerous places because I wanted them exposed, and I would always look at the boys and say, "Now, boys, look at me, especially Andrew and Christopher and love, says, look at daddy, look at me right here in the eyes, you got to keep your eyes on me, you got to follow me. You see, I'm bigger than you are. You can see me. You can hear me. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to be sharing with people today. We're going to be feeding. But boys, keep your eyes on me. Because if you get lost, it's not my fault. It's not daddy's fault, Andrew. If you get lost, Christopher, it's not my fault. Because you're supposed to be following me. So if you get lost in this barrio in Argentina, it's not my fault. It's your fault. If you get lost in Paris, it's not my fault, it's your fault. If you get lost in the mall, it's not your mama's fault, it's your fault. And they would look with big eyes. And man, they would hold my pockets, I can still feel them. They would just keep their hands on my... Now, you know I was watching them. You know I had my eye upon them. But I love them. I've seen children snatched. I've seen children kidnapped. I've worked with that. I didn't want to lose my boys. And I, so I taught them, follow me. God's eye is always upon you. Never doubt that. God is always watching over you. But God says, follow Him. And Too often, we want Jesus to follow us. Too often, we say to Jesus, you do what I want you to do, Jesus, and everything will be cool. You say, oh, that's not true, Pastor. Oh, it is too I've been a pastor for a long time. You don't know how many people come to me angry because God didn't do what they told Him to do. They don't say it like that. They say it piously. Oh, I prayed and I fasted and I asked God to do this. And I said, God didn't do what you told Him to do? Well, I asked Him. I didn't tell Him. You see, He's God. And He calls us, follow Me. Look at this Follow me with me for just when you follow Jesus, wonderful things happen. Man, I have had some wonderful plans that just turned out really bad. <laughs> have you ever had some wonderful plans that turned out really bad? Christopher had a wonderful plan one night. He said he would cook dinner for us, he did. He decided that I don't know if you remember that salsa that Pastor Mark used to sell here at the Super Bowl time, he decided to put pineapple mango salsa on the meat as he cooked it that night. We sat down. It was awful. I'm his dad. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Ben's his brother. He could care less. Ben looks at me and says, this is awful, Chris. It's dead. I go. Oh, it's okay, and I'm cutting it. You know, I'm trying to. You know how we do. We like. You know. And Ben finally goes. No, it's not dead. It's awful. Ben gets up and walks over to the sink and washes his meat and cleans it up and then drives it off and sits down and eats. He says, "That's better." <laughs> we warned Rachel about that before she married Christopher. You see, sometimes we have plans and we think it's going to turn out. But when you follow Jesus, things always turn out well. Can you say amen? Let's look at an example of that. That evening, after this, we're still in the first chapter. This is why the church loves this at Christmas time. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And the whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. I mean, people's lives were being controlled by demonic spirits. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus, look at this, not the disciples, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, Simon and them, they get up and they go out to find him. You see, Jesus went to bed early like godly people do. He went to bed early and the disciples, they stayed up late having coffee. And they're thinking, wow, did you see all these people here today? Did you see all these people? We can can set up an itinerary from Jesus from town to town. We can get something established. That's why Jesus has called us is because Jesus wants us to come up with a plan and we can launch His ministry. This can be big time. This can be major. And so they come up with a plan and they get up the next morning and the main star of the show is gone. Jesus is gone. He's gone out to seek the Father. He's gone out early in the morning like David did and he's seeking the Lord and he's praying and they're not happy with Him. You see, Christmas didn't make a lot of people happy it didn't make Herod happy it didn't make some of the temple scribes and priests happy the good news oftentimes doesn't make a lot of people happy but the good news makes the sick it makes the demon possessed it makes those who recognize the awfulness of their sins it makes them rejoice And that's why that Christmas hymn, Good Christian Men, Rejoice, Rejoice. Not because of a sanitized picture of a manger scene, but because Jesus came with a double cure for the double curse. When man sinned against God, not only did man begin to die, but sickness and disease, sin entered into the human race. And Jesus came to save us and to heal us. And he says to you and me, follow me this morning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I I don't know about you, but it just excites me. So I, I just want to wrap this up this morning by just saying, Christmas is all about Jesus coming with compassion to confront evil and to bring to us the mercy of God. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus comes with compassion upon lost people. He comes with love for lost people. He comes with love and and mercy for those of us who, who say, Lord, we want to follow you. We don't want you to do things according to our plans. God, we want you to have your way. There's a song that comes back to me so often when I'm praying. Sometimes we sing it in our Saturday evening prayer service. Have Thine own way, Lord. Have Thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after Thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. I want the will of God because the will of God brings compassion. It brings God's power to defeat evil. Christmas is about Jesus coming into our world that has been broken and He brings love and compassion to lost people. So, here's what I'd like to say to you this morning. You and I will never be compassionate until we follow Jesus. We'll never be compassionate. There was a study and a survey done of Politicians just a few years ago, because of tax returns of the percentage that they personally gave of their income. I looked at that because of the people that tax us and often use compassion as a way to tax us. And when that was published in the Times, I was kind of had my eyes opened. It's real easy for me to talk about compassion when I'm talking about your pocket. It's real easy for me to talk about love when I'm talking about your heart. It's another thing altogether for me to talk about compassion when I'm talking about my pocket and my heart. And the only thing that can make us truly compassionate is the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's why my atheist friend he so, says, no, no, no. There's no way there's a higher power that could have created all of this. Scientist shows us it's all evolved. And I said, no, science has not shown us that. There's too much order, even in your eye, your taste buds, the color of our skins, our nationalities. There's just too much. There is a designer. But sin has blinded us. Sin causes us to suppress the knowledge of God. Sin causes us to say only the strong survive and therefore we don't feel sorry for the weak. Do you think it's not true? Walk with me where I've preached and ministered in India and Bangladesh and parts of Africa. Where people die on the streets without anybody showing them compassion because they deserved what they got. Friends, friends, If I got what I deserved, I'd be tossed into the lake of fire forever. That's why we call grace amazing. I want to read you two more passages, and then we're going to pray. That evening after sunset, well, let's just skip on to the next one. I don't want to reread that again. But when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven." Now notice, he doesn't address what you and I think you ought to address. I just preached on this a few weeks ago when we did the series on healing. first thing he does is he addresses his sins. My child, your sins are forgiven. But some teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Which is easier? Now, now you've got to deal with that. That's a question Jesus is asking us this morning. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to say stand up and pick up your mat and walk? When I was so sick, Dr. Tarigula said to me one day, One of my surgeons, he said, I don't believe in miracles. My wife looked at him and says, well, we do. We believe that God heals. And he says, well, I don't believe in miracles, and I don't believe this. And he just went to telling us. Just a few days, he's coming, and he stands at the foot of my bed with tears in his eyes, and he says, you're going to die. I don't know what to do. A group of friends call me from Georgia. I can't even talk. Becky says he can't hold the phone. And there in Bowman Hospital, she lays the phone by my ear. I remember them praying. He's in, Dr. Tarigula's in surgery. And suddenly an idea comes to him. He runs upstairs and he says to Becky, I think God spoke to me. He said, I had an idea. It's never been done before. I have his permission to tell you this." And lo and behold, the surgery worked. It's being used at teaching hospitals across the country and in other nations. Before he retired, he and I sat down together and he said, I don't use this word, but there's no other way to describe you than a miracle. There's no other way to say you shouldn't be there. You don't have the nerves to be there. You don't have the organs to be there. You shouldn't be alive. You see, Pastor, you've told us this before. I'll tell you again and again. Because sometimes when we're facing difficult circumstances, we forget it costs God more to forgive us of our sins than it does to say to a paralyzed man, stand up and walk. Miracles happened long before Calvary. And so Jesus wanted them to know, I will prove to you, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to unearth to forgive sins. And he turned to the paralyzed man, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all, say it with me, Oh, don't say it like you don't believe it. Say it the way I've got it capitalized up there. They were all uh, amazed. Remember, we talked about this last week? Some of you say your toothpaste is amazing. Some of you say your cat litter is awesome. You don't understand the word amazing or awesome. They were amazed. I have been teased so much about that this week, you would not believe. Folks say, Pastor, I haven't known how to describe a meal since I can't use the word amazed or awesome. This is amazing that God forgives sins. And that's why we have Christmas. Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, he said, muckraking is not gospel work. Witch hunting is not gospel work. Forgiving sin is gospel work. And the gospel simply means good news. So three things I want you to know this morning. Stand with me if you would and then I'm going to pray for you. Number one, God's not repulsed by your sin. He's not repulsed by my sin. He comes and He offers forgiveness to each and every one of us. Sometimes as Christians we sin, but don't cover it up. Don't hide it. If you're having a struggle overcoming it, share in your small group. Let them pray with you. I love our AA ministry here. The fact that those guys know they can share and be supported. I love my prayer partners because I can share with them and be supported. Don't cover up. God is never repulsed by your sin. And I'll tell you something else this church will never be repulsed by your sin. God is a merciful God. Amen? Second thing is, God's compassion is always available to you. If you're sick, if you're hurting, God's compassion is available to you this morning. and Not only will Christ forgive you, Christ will heal you. And the final thing I think the Holy Spirit wants each of us to know is we're called to leave this place and go show His love, His forgiveness, and His compassion to other people. Because you never know. A special forces soldier that has been hardened by the things he's seen and done And an atheist, who sometimes you just have to say, if you'll let me talk, he may think about things he's never thought about before, and say to you, can we meet again, and can we talk? Be patient. Be patient. God is always at work. In the fullness of time, God's in his son. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the mercy of God and the forgiveness of all of our sins. And I pray this morning as we're standing here that each of us will believe the good news. God, when I read John the Baptist, I tremble. How could I ever be good enough? But I thank you for John's preaching because it shows me how much I need Jesus. And, Lord, I thank you that you not only forgive our sins, but at Christmas you came to set us free from every oppressive power and to heal our sick bodies and souls. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Now may the Lord bless you. May he watch over you. And may grace and peace abound more and more to you in everything you do for his glory. In Christ's name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.